0: Hey it's Griffin. One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, gimme some more. Five, six, gimme some sticks. Seven, eight, gimme that gate. Hey everybody, it's a griffin, and I'm here to say that I want that gate in a major way. You impressed?
1: Uh one two three. You know me. Four five six, I'm the coolest chicks.
0: Yeah, you're you're more than one of them. I've always said that about you. You know that song, I'm every woman. You sing that song, and I look at you and I say, yes. Um, Sort of Seven,
1: eight, nine. Oh? Feeling fine. Okay. Ten. (laughs) A big fat hen.
0: Yeah, yeah. What I love about that is the first three parts of that song were sort of about how great you were. And then the last part... Didn't follow the same number scheme, and also introduced a very fun image. By the way, this is the episode. I didn't know if you knew it. Uh, Hey, it's wonderful. I'm Griffin.
1: And I'm Rachel.
0: I know that's not how we usually do it, but, uh, you oh, it know, it was
1: just so, it was just so tasty. It was had tasty. To leave it in.
0: Problem is we didn't get to do the sound check that we usually do because it turned into episode very quickly. So I'm wondering if you could scoot that up. See, it didn't even turn the sound of my computer off. Wonder if you could scoot that windscreen just a little bit closer to the microphone meet there. And that's going to be just right. Folks, you are getting a behind-the-scenes look at wonderful... I mean, don't let it touch it. That defeats the purpose of what the windscreen... Is. I
1: thought you did all this stuff before I sat down. Well, usually. that's... A, I mean, yeah.
0: Peter Piper. Oh, that's good. Those plosives are so soft. I could fall asleep to them, babe. Yeah. <laughs> So, this is a show where we talk about the things that we are into. Right now, for Rachel, that list would not include me, unfortunately. (laughs) But maybe by the end of the episode, I can win my way back into your good graces. Uh, You got any small wonders?
1: I do, actually. Yeah, good. Uh, The smell of sunscreen.
0: The sunscreen smells quite good. Um,
1: It, like, is, like, transportative? Is that a word? It's kind of... Um, I feel like every time I smell it, I get, like, jys for the summer to come. Mm. That's a loud drink you're taking there. Well, no point to...
0: I ran everything in this episode through the drink filter so that you don't get any liquid noises. So what you just said didn't make any freaking sense at all. <laughs> uh, I never smell it on myself. We slathered our baby up good, baby back ribs. <laughs> and... Uh, Smelled and, it on him for like the rest of the day, and that was quite nice.
1: Yeah, because
0: you get the good baby smell, and then you get that beach smell. And now, mm, now nice. we're t- now we're cooking.
1: What about you? I
0: got a few ibuprofen. I've had sort of a full bone hurt of all bones for like two weeks now, but ibuprofen's there. Like I'm going to get you through this one, dog. And terrace house opening new doors. Oh, we're almost gosh. done with the second chunk of episodes, and. First, Chunk didn't really grab me, but Chunk 2, I think, has got its claws.
1: we're not watching that show, I am just thinking about watching that show.
0: Yeah, I was worried because now we're kind of watching that and Boys X Girls Next Door, the original run, kind of side by side. I would get it confused. Um, but I, I think the characters are very well established well, in both. The
1: environment's so different. The too.
0: environment is quite different. They're in a very rural setting in Karuizawa in Opening New Doors. And man, it really sets it apart because it, I want to go to there so very badly. Um, and I guess that's it. I guess I can call it there. Okay. Still eating those jelly beans. <laughs> Still just going after I that hit five. I them. Th-
1: I thought that would splatter. Yeah, no, but
0: I hacked it. I hacked your, I went into your email where you emailed all your friends. I hit the jelly beans here.
1: What if I hide them again?
0: It's a fun game now. Yeah. Except for when I want jelly beans so bad that I get angry.
1: What if I put them in little plastic eggs and hide them all over the house? <laughs> Will
0: you? <laughs> I think I go first this week. I do. I looked it up ahead of time. Okay. I got tired of the drama on the freaking set. So I am I go first this time because that's the order. And my first thing, I know I've thrown you some fairly inaccessible stuff lately, stuff that we maybe necessarily don't share as an interest necessarily. I know it can be kind of hard to hang when that's the truth. I'm bringing first up, though oreo how good the oreo cookie there are very few sweets in this world that i could potentially be in the mood for at all times all days of the year right like cake cake can be kind of too heavy sometimes uh ice cream would just wreck my whole gastrointestinal shop so that's not good pie seems like a lot of work today some cookies.
1: <laughs> Wait, why does pie seem like a lot? Oh, of work? you just
0: gotta you gotta make sure that you get the filling and the crust in every bite, and it's like, oh god, <laughs> it takes you twice as long to eat. I love pie, but it takes you twice as long to eat than like any other sweet, and that's the that's the truth. Um, other cookies even are too sweet sometimes. Like if I eat like a chocolate too many chocolate chip cookies, that's a tummy grumble scenario that I don't want to invite myself into. Oreos, though. Oatmeal cream pies actually are the only other one. That's the only Ooh. other exception. Yeah. I'll fuck one of those up on the, on the reg. Oreos, though. I'm always in for Oreos, which is a really good tagline for Oreos. <laughs> um, the consistency of the Oreo. Did you know this? Scientists got together a hundred thousand.
1: A hundred thousand at scientists.
0: the science convention in Las Vegas. Ooh. The moon
1: oh yeah
0: so this is the secret las vegas that's on that the moon that scientists oh like. yeah sure sure but i mean they're scientists so they got all the money right running the <laughs> you know how that's a sort of a common thread throughout sort of the uh conspiracy theory blogs and stuff is that, that scientists run the media an eight
1: hundred thousand dollar travel budget
0: right this cookie though the oreo is perfection is what the scientists discovered I didn't complete the thought because I forgot about it, but there it is. Scientists (laughs) said it's perfect. The cookie material is perfectly crumbly. And when it, mm, when it dances in the mouth (laughs) with the cream, with the sweet cream, it's so good. It's so generous. Every Oreo you eat is baked is technically two cookies with bonus cream. Okay. If you think of
1: too far, have I or have? Do you think of a sandwich as two pieces of
0: bread with bonus meat? no no but when you buy oreos no hold on when i say i want to eat a roast beef sandwich i'm thinking i'm excited for my friend roast beef and its friends bread and toppings when i look at oreos on the store shelf i don't go like "Mm, i'm gonna have me a cream party tonight and cookies can come too that's a wild (laughs) that is a wild comparison and you know it um the comp, it, it's, Do you think of a Tootsie Roll as, as candy with
1: bonus Tootsie?
0: I don't even think of a Tootsie Roll as candy.
1: <laughs> what about a blow pop?
0: A blow pop.
1: Candy with bonus gum? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, you can eat Oreos straight up and you should sometimes. Milk is really good. It works wonders for these guys <laughs> and they are also like, unlike any other cookie they are the most utilized cookie for all other desserts you can use them as the base for like a cheesecake you can crumble these shits up on a (laughs) Sunday. you can i've uh done what are they called the little um uh truffles little chocolate truffles you hmm. you make the cream cheese and you mash it up with the oreos and you cover it in hard chocolate that's a truffle you don't do that with other cookies do you oatmeal raisin cookie i'm specifically looking at you because what are you going to do, crumble these up on your Sunday? I'm going to frickin' barve.
1: Um, Can I hop in here for a second? Uh-huh. Um, here's, here's a problem I have with Oreos, and I am only bringing it up Ooh. so that you can help me develop like a workaround.
0: Yeah. I'm all ears.
1: <laughs> I enjoy Oreos. Sure.
0: You got, a, you got a like, mouth and a heart.
1: I do not like how they get stuck in my teeth have you oh. notice this yeah sure 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 Those, the molars yeah, especially
0: the molars love love to ha- uh having to hold the cookie material um do i
1: just need to get over that is that just part of it well you
0: need to stop thinking of your teeth as mouth bones for steak chewing and you need to start thinking of them as oreo banks like where i hold oreos for a later withdrawal okay Is the word withdraw or withdrawal? Probably withdraw, huh? Because withdrawal is a whole nother thing. But when you go to the ATM, do you withdraw money or withdraw it? You withdraw money. But you don't withdraw it? Withdrawal is like
1: the noun. Withdraw is the verb.
0: Huh. A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) Um Here's the other thing about Oreos. It is very versatile in its base state, right? You can do anything with an Oreo. But there's a cornucopia of options available to you, both in terms of form and function. I'm talking regular. I'm talking double stuff. I'm talking mega stuff. You fucking lunatics. Looked at a double stuff Oreo and was like, this is some little kid shit. We need to mega stuff these bastards because America deserves it. Is
1: there... Are you going to get to the new flavors?
0: I'm talking about – got to finish talking about the forms. There's okay. mini Oreos. Okay. There's – um mini Oreos are what I make with regular size Oreos when I put them in my mouth, so thank you. But I'd <laughs> rather do the work. I enjoy the work. Thin Oreos are my new favorite. Yeah, it's they, nice. They, they do a lot of flavor experimentation, and I find myself enjoying the sensation of eating these guys as if they were little Pringles almost, little Lay's potato thins. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that a lot. And then we're talking about flavors. We're talking about the usual, like recurring stuff, like original chocolate, peanut butter, mint, double delight, which has the you two flavors I inside. Today, what did you see today?
1: And I didn't buy them. But oh, I should have. Okay. Lemon Oreos.
0: Yeah, sure. I
1: bet that's good.
0: Sure, yeah. Lemon Oreos, brownie batter, birthday cake, peppermint, red velvet. There's so many flavors. I was looking at a list online, and they differ from region to region, sort of like Kit Kats, which we found this pumpkin-flavored Kit Kat when we were in Japan for our honeymoon that we bought three bags of, destroyed them. Yeah, and then we can never know. ever find them ever we didn't fucking know it again. It was a
1: seasonal thing. We
0: brought a bag back on the airplane to bring to our friends and, then and we ate k- it. we killed pretty much all but enough for one little Kit Kat bar for each of our friends. I'm so sorry friends. I did not know that they were going to go extinct. I've never had a bad Oreo. Oh, anyway, other countries have other flavors. <laughs> uh singapore malaysia china and i think a few other countries have blueberry ice cream oreos which i would
1: fucking destroy that sounds wonderful oh
0: man the only bad thing about oreos is when your parents went to the store okay and they bought hydrox the disgusting imposter known as hydrox yes do you know the history of the hydrox oreo beef
1: Oh gosh, Hydrox was first.
0: Hydrox came first in 1908. That. 4 years later, 1912, yeah. Oreo shows up on the scene like, hmm, "Do you mind if we actually try our hand at it?" And America said, "Oh, this is so <laughs> much better." And the Oreo quickly surpassed the Hydrox. That's a lot of people think it was you guys, that's that's capitalism is gross. Oreo is a thief. <laughs> but Oreo fixed it, and I'm very grateful that they did. Hydrox, which first of all, Hydrox guys you called it Hydrox? They called it Hydrox. It derives its name from the atoms that make up the water molecule, hydrogen and oxygen. In 1908, the creators of the cookie were looking for a name that would convey, quote, purity and goodness. You fucked up because yeah. you landed on Hydrox, which sounds like a sort of bleach abrasive... Yeah, or
1: like medicinal. It's, like-
0: and these are not medicinal. They are poison. <laughs> the way that you can tell if it's a Hydrox or an if somebody you know locks you in a basement makes you do a taste test for your freedom hydrox has uh, and this is according to wikipedia less sweet cream and a crunchier cookie that gets less soggy in milk who wants that if i didn't want my oreo to get soggy from milk i wouldn't dunk it in fucking milk that's why i do it that's why i exercise milk dunking hydrox anyway um oreos are so good yeah no, I agree. And the that's what I did for my summer vacation. <laughs> What's your first thing?
1: Did, did you think of this because last night we had generic Oreos that were root beer oh, flavored?
0: That probably played into it. It doesn't it probably was more that we have had consistently a, a container yes. of Oreo thins in this house for about a month and a half, and it was only a matter of time. It's
1: like an unspoken thing. Griffin and I will go grocery shopping separately, and now it's just part of our rotation.
0: We yeah, yeah, We always yeah.
1: have Oreos in the house.
0: Um, no, we did have these uh, generic, not even Hydrox, so like, yikes.
1: Yeah, they were like grocery store brand.
0: But our friend Justin was very excited for us to eat these root beer float flavored uh, of rios, and I <laughs> cracked it open. And as I do, got I got sp- his tongue in there. I twist it and then I lick the cream, as is my practice. And it was the worst mistake I ever made in my whole life because the cream tasted like a root beer barrel. Took a big shit in my mouth. <laughs> it was so gross. Do
1: you know how I eat an Oreo? Tell me, tell me. No, I'm curious if you ever noticed. Do I lick the cream? I don't think you do. I don't. Yeah. I just go straight for that milk.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's what makes it exciting, you know? <laughs> What's your first thing, though? We've talked about Oreos for a quarter of an hour.
1: Uh, I am going to talk about, and I actually thought you might talk about it. Oh! Peaches.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the bad smell coming from our laundry room. <laughs>
1: Why would that it's be just wonderful. all I can
0: fucking think about. It stinks so bad. Still? If anybody knows, Yeah, I can smell so bad. If anybody knows how to get the stink out of a laundry room, specifically, I think the washing machine is the stinky culprit. Don't tell us about the tablets. We've tried the yeah, fucking tablets. It stinks tablets. so bad. I think it's a
1: plumbing problem. I
0: think a guy died in there in the washing machine a hundred years ago. Peaches are great, though.
1: Peaches. Yes. So uh, this came to mind because it is peach season here in Texas. Mm hmm. And so we got some peaches at the farmer's market.
0: Oh, man, they're so good. They're so freaking... I've not eaten a peach since I was maybe a six years old. Mm. And now I'm a 30... (laughs) No, I'm 31. (laughs) uh, 31 years old. And they uh, have blown my mind.
1: Did you know? Probably not. Over half the world's peaches come from China.
0: Hey, I did not know that. But I would guess it because I think half of all fruit comes from China these days.
1: 58%. uh,
0: I don't sell that other peaches
1: and nectarine. So here's another thing. Uh Did you know that a nectarine uh, is basically a peach without the fuzzy skin?
0: Well, that sounds way better than a peach, actually. And I kind of that's sort of the (laughs) only problem I do have with the peach is that I feel like I'm licking a, a cat. Every time I eat one of these things. <laughs>
1: Genetic studies suggest nectarines are produced due to a recessive allele, whereas peaches are produced from a dominant allele for fuzzy skin. Oh, that's fun.
0: Yeah. I'm, and also, I'm glad that not every, if every time I had to eat an apple, I had to work through an, uh, what is essentially an apple beard, I would not eat, <laughs> um, apples ever.
1: Uh, so peaches didn't hit America until, um, well technically they arrived in the 17th century hmm. uh through some european folks including thomas jefferson who brought their own individual peach trees Whoa. Uh, but american farmers did not begin commercial production until the 19th century in maryland delaware georgia south carolina and virginia
0: um that is that is fascinating
1: yeah because I, I peaches seem like such a like american fruit to me
0: uh, apparently they are Chinese. They, I think yeah. wherever you grow the most of them is where no, they are now.
1: I know. I just like, I kind of put them on par with apples.
0: Yeah. I mean, I equate them probably with the American South more than anything, yeah, right? But exactly. that might just be because I like to do sort of a Southern voice and talk about, you know, peach cobbler. Do you want to do that right now? I don't. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, that was kind of a big old tease, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, you know, gotta keep, if, uh, <laughs> how are you going to miss me if I'm always here? Can we talk about the fact that um, since we've had these peaches in our house a couple weeks in a row now, because we get them from the farmer's market, I have heard you quote face-off. The qu- <laughs> the face-off quoting ratio in this house has spiked from what I would call an insignificant number of face-off quotes <laughs> to every tenth sentence that you say while we're in the kitchen where the peaches live.
1: What I like to do with Griffin yeah Griffin does a lot of impressions as you know
0: um, do, do I <laughs> that's Austin Powers <laughs> that's thank good. you
1: it's good uh, and he does a very precise approach to quoting lines from films and actors and you know uh, I like to say it conversationally yeah so I'll finish a peach let's say and I'll turn to Griffin and I'll say something like uh, you know Griffin
0: and I'll say uh, yes
1: I could eat a peach for hours
0: and I'll lose my shit, because I wasn't expecting it. And also because I'm a little grossed out, because it's the grossest <laughs> scene in any movie ever, Nick.
1: It's very, very gross. Nick Cage. So let me tell you about the peach in Texas. Yeah. So at the farmer's market, the big thing in Texas is the Fredericksburg peach.
0: Yes, we went to Fredericksburg yes. about a year and a half, Maybe it was two summers ago. Mm-hmm. And um, had fun. I would say we knocked it out in about one day. <laughs> We get there. You see the peaches. You go to some wineries, You climb the big mountain. And then you're... Then you're pretty much... You're, sure. You did it.
1: Uh, so, Fredericksburg is about 80 miles west of Austin. Uh, and for the Fredericksburg Stonewall area has become known as the peach capital of Texas due to Benjamin Lester and Durley, who is known as the father of hill country peach industry. He was a Gillespie County... Or, I'm sorry, Gillespie County, surveyor and a math and science teacher at Fredericksburg High School when oh. he planted five peach trees and began selling the fruit in 1921.
0: I love that. That's some Walter White shit. Like, I'm teaching <laughs> science, but on the side, I've got this peach business.
1: Uh, so he combined a few species of peach together to create kind of the most durable
0: peach for the conditions of Texas. That's, I was joking before, but my dog actually yeah, did this for thing. for sure, for sure. Uh, how do you, you do that, by the way, without like lab equipment? You just rub two pits together I think you and like so. cross
1: pollinate. There's flowers on the peach tree. You don't have to rub the pits
0: together. Make them kiss? <laughs> no, you don't.
1: No, it's the flowers. You know?
0: Okay. Um, I'm actually not a scientist, so that yeah, I don't be think true. rubbing two flowers together gets you a juicier peach. I don't, I don't know. Think rubbing two pits together would? Well, can we both agree we're wrong? <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he started with. 14 acres.
0: Uh, For five trees. <laughs> How much did you need to space these out, my man?
1: Well, I'm sure it was their property. Okay. And I don't think he did like one every two acres. Okay. Uh, That'd
0: be a pain in the yet. Time to water the peach trees. Oh, let me get on my razor scooter. Jesus. <laughs> They're so far apart. By
1: 1925, the family was producing more than several hundred trees. Uh, and hey, guess what? Uh This guy was friends with Howard E. Butt, who hey. is the H-E-B gentleman that started the stores.
0: I always thought it was Butts. Nope, just the one Butt.
1: Just the one.
0: <laughs> nope, just one Butt.
1: Uh So he uh hooked up with his friend and got them in stores in Austin and San Antonio. By 1935, he bought another 145 acres and soon had about 5,000 peach trees. All right. You,
0: I made fun of you before, but you you thought ahead. Well done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, when did folks start turning these things into jellies? Because, damn, they deserve a raise. <laughs>
1: I didn't I didn't research the jelly. My preference is for the fruit.
0: Uh the fruit's good. It's impossible to eat unless you're hovering over a sink or toilet. <laughs> a sink or a toilet a or toilet. A, a towel that you've laid out um that to is, yes. sort of a juice yeah. dragnet.
1: Okay, let's let's see if we can learn anything from the Oreo. Okay. So you said to not think of it as teeth.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But as what what did you say?
0: I was funny whatever it was. <laughs> it's funny as hell
1: so we need to think of the
0: oh okay so instead of sticky mask, juice on my neck and chest your body under my shirt
1: is a tarp for later peach hey except i don't
0: think anybody's licking the peach juice off me as, as, okay okay yeah okay. no come on you're the one who that's painted a, this picture let's look at it in wanna, the museum I don't together i want
1: to seduce our listeners
0: yeah um <laughs> hey though can i steal you away
1: fun yeah i don't know i'm running out
0: (laughs) (laughs) it kind of sounded like i'm ashamed of this rachel and i watch videos on facebook as we're falling asleep one showed up in the feed and it'll get a little blue here of course but it was a (laughs) fart it was a guy who recorded a toot that he did No, no no but stick with me um but he mapped it out onto um sheet music the notes that the course of the toot followed and then composed a whole song around it, it made me laugh so hard I thought that I was going to die.
1: Griffin thought it was very, very funny.
0: It was the idea, a toots don't do it for me. I added a, a lot of toot humor out of specifically My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and did maybe do that this exact morning. So I feel like I have evidence to that fact. The idea of somebody turning it into a beautiful classical composition really tickled my funny bone.
1: to get 50% off. This message is for Stefan. It is from Amanda. Hey baby, I just want to say I love you and I'm so excited for everything the future holds for us. I could just tell you that, but I thought it would sound even better coming from Rachel and Griffin. Here's to a lifetime of listening to podcasts, hiking, and making those sweet playprints together. Ah, thank you for being my good long boy.
0: And thank you for helping us with the advertising. This couple sounds so in love. I think that they would be great testers for my prototype bunk bed toilet. Just hit me up. You know the email, Addy. Get at me, and I will let you know. You're going to have to sign a few waivers because I have no guarantees that that top seat is going to stay on there. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Justin McElroy. And I'm Dr. Sydney McElroy. Every week, we release a medical history podcast called Sawbones.
1: We go over the history of the dumbest, grossest, weirdest stuff humans have been doing to each other since the dawn of mankind.
0: But it's a funny show.
1: But it's also so disgusting and stomach-turning, you won't believe it.
0: But it's also, like, (laughs) funny. It's funny.
1: It is the wildest, grossest, nastiest stuff you can imagine.
0: It's a real hoot. It's called Sawbones, and we release it every week on iTunes, wherever podcasts are sold, and right here on MaximumFun.org. Do you want to hear my second thing? Yes. My second thing is another song, Uh, and it is another choice from Spotify's Discover Weekly playlist, which I swear to God, it should just become maybe its own segment on the show. Maybe we could get those Spotify bucks. Yeah, Uh, right? They don't
1: sponsor us, but maybe they
0: should. This is not, I can't stress this enough. This is not uh, laziness. This is not like I struggle for things to talk about. Like I genuinely don't feel like once I sit down and think about what I want to talk about on the show, it's usually not that. Difficult for me to come up with stuff. So this is not like uh me trying to find a fix for that. It is this service provides so much music to me that like really sticks with me that like it just ends up being something that I talk about a lot, uh, which is a long way of saying that they don't sponsor the show. So don't read too much into it. <laughs> This song is called Aguas de Marco, uh, or which translates to Waters of March. Uh, this is arguably the most out there pick that maybe I have brought to the show, and certainly that I have picked out of my Discover Weekly playlist, because how'd you end up on there, friend? I mean, I know how you ended up on there. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it is a song from a Brazilian songwriter named Antonio Carlos Jobim, Uh, who is this super talent, or was this super talented jazz musician, the song you might know him best for, uh, listener at home, he wrote Girl from Ipanema, the elevator song, uh, alongside a billion other very, very like beloved songs. He is one of the most highly regarded Brazilian composers of all time. Uh, during the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, uh, he was, he was honored in the opening ceremony. Um, he helped to sort of popularize and internationalize the bossa nova style, which yeah. is the mix of, uh, you know, uh, samba music and jazz music, uh, together. He helped sort of bring that across across the globe. Um, and Aguas de Marco is very much a bossa nova song, which is not like a genre. It's not like my favorite genre, right? I, I don't dislike it. It's just like, I don't seek it out. Uh, you know, when I, it's time to listen to some tunes um, to get me psyched for the big game. <laughs> but I have been obsessed with this song since I, I first heard it last week. And I'll kind of explain why after I play a little bit of one of the original recordings. Uh, it's from 1974. It is Jobim and uh, Elise Regina, uh, who are singing the song in the original Portuguese uh, from an album they recorded called Elise and Tom. Uh, and so here's a little bit of Aguas de Marco. <laughs> É o tijolo chegando, é a lenha,
1: é o dia, é o fim da picada
0: É a garrafa de cana, o estilhaço na estrada É o
1: projeto da casa, é o corpo na cama É o carro enguiçado, é a lama, é a lama
0: É um passo,
1: é uma ponte, é um saco, é uma rã
0: É um resto de mato, na luz
1: da manhã São as águas de março março, fechando o verão É a promessa de vida vida no teu coração. coração
0: Um, so this, this song has been covered and recorded by so many folks through, throughout the decades since it was written, um, and a lot of English-speaking artists have covered it, too, uh, using a translation that was actually written by Jobim himself. Oh, okay. um, so this is actually the English-language version of this song, uh, Waters of March, uh, recorded in 1975 by Art Garfunkel. A
1: point, a grain, a bee, a bite buzzard, a sudden stroke of night A pin, a needle, a sting, a pain A snail, a riddle, a wasp, a stain A snake, a stick, it is John, it is Joe A fish, a flesh, a silvery glow And the riverbank talks of the waters of March It's the promise of life in your
0: heart, in your heart a stick, So that's, a if... Stone, if english is your your primary language and you didn't understand the portuguese version which i did not uh then you kind of get a feel for what makes this song so fucking cool um it's kind of this stream of consciousness that is describing uh, what appears to be just kind of a random assortment of errata like it's a it's a stick it's a the what's the left of a stump it's uh a trap. It's a gun. It's just all of these different sort of. It's like a collage of these different images evoking a feeling more than describing kind of a specific thing. When did
1: you say the song came out? Uh,
0: it was first written in, uh, I believe, nineteen seventy one. Actually.
1: Okay.
0: Um, but it has been covered by everybody. When I Google or when I uh, typed it into Spotify to look for all the different versions of it, um, Spotify melted my computer down through my desk because there are so 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 many.
1: I was just thinking, like, it. What you're Describing sounds very similar to kind of the beat poetry.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, This stream of consciousness consciousness writing is actually something that Jobim did uh, a lot during his career. Uh, There are some stories about how he wrote this song in the style that he wrote it because he was suffering from horrible writer's block. And this was the only way that he could sort of get his thoughts out were to put them in the most simplistic style imaginable not that i would call the composition of the song simplistic i think it's brilliant and and beautiful but this sort of scattershot short burst ideas of it's this it's this it's this um uh there's also some uh, it's a guitarist whose name i don't remember who said that he used it as a sort of therapy for himself writing in this stream of consciousness style but it's so unique um what's really interesting about the song is the, the waters of March in Brazil is a uh, recurring period of heavy rainfall, comes at the end of of every March, which actually marks the end of summer in Brazil, because it's in the southern hemisphere. Oh, yeah. their, their summer runs from December to March. Uh, and so the song somewhat describes what these rains that would flood Rio de Janeiro every year. Uh, it... Sort of in those rains, it would catch these different bits of flotsam and jetsam in the stream down, down gutters and city streets. Sometimes they were very severe and could, you know, destroy places. Um. And, and the, the lyrics help sort of create this, this imagery of these things floating by. What's really cool is the orchestration is also kind of designed with these descending series of notes to give the illusion that the song is just from start to finish, just constantly going down, which is really fucking neat. Um, what's most fascinating about this song is how it changed in translation. Like the core metaphor of the song changed for a reason that I think is really really cool um when when Jobim wrote the English translation he um, omitted certain like specific references to brazilian culture and history to sort of make the song more uh accessible to you know every, other folks throughout throughout the world um the bigger thing that changed is because the seasons in north america in the northern hemisphere are different from the seasons in the southern hemisphere the core sort of message of the song also changed oh. in in brazil the waters of march mark the end of something it's the end of summer and so the the song in its original version seems to be telling a story about sort of the inevitable passage of time and the brevity and and beauty of life and living but in for instance america the waters of march would describe a heavy rainfall that comes at the end of winter yeah. and the beginning of spring and so there's a different interpretation interpretation entirely. The English lyrics are a little bit rosier. Like they there's references to the joy of your heart and the promise of spring, like this promise of a new life beginning.
1: That's so interesting. I thought that was
0: so fucking fascinating that that he wrote this song about this seasonal occurrence and tied all of this beautiful imagery and metaphor to it and then translated translated himself for other parts of the world where because it's a seasonal thing and seasons are different throughout the world the entire meaning of the song changed. Yeah. That's fucking cool as hell. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I, 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 the whole song is really, really fascinating. Um, and I, I just, I really like it, even though it's not sort of my, the, the genre that I seek out, there's something about it that is just so like mm-hmm. entrancing. I listened to it. I, I, it came up on Spotify while I was driving the daycare and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and listen to that again. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a very, very good song. What's your second thing?
1: My second thing. Is the creative writing workshop. Oh, yeah. Did you ever do one of these? Did you ever take a creative writing class or like a yeah segment of another
0: class? Probably a segment of another class. I remember I took an uh, English class that was sort of focused on Appalachian literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did some workshops in there. And I was pretty bad at it because i didn't i hadn't really experienced much of anything in my whole life up to that point and so i would you know write stories about a time that you know i fell uh down some stairs at church camp but i would try to turn it into like you know a moving a moving story
1: uh so i i've mentioned this on the show before but when i was an undergrad uh i did creative writing short fiction uh, which at Mizzou is a sequence of three classes. You do, uh, beginner and, um.
0: I'm sorry, I know my drink's very loud. I'm trying very, <laughs> as hard as I can.
1: Uh, or you would do beginner and I honestly don't remember what the middle one was called. And then there was advanced. Intermediate? I yeah, I guess intermediate.
0: Medium. <laughs> Mild, spicy. <laughs>
1: uh, and then, so my English degree, I have a emphasis in creative writing, short fiction. Yes. Uh, and then when I went to graduate school, I did poetry writing workshops. Uh, and I really appreciate the whole workshop format. So I thought I would talk about it a little bit because I feel like it's informed. You know, part of my job now is to work with people to discuss writing you know because we're putting together a proposal and so i've kind of taken what i've learned in the workshop environment kind of brought it into my just everyday conversations with other people about their writing
0: broad strokes are we talking about an environment where you share your work with other people and then everybody gives you feedback because i've never i've never fucking done that yes i take it back i have never done that are you kidding me too scared
1: uh, so I found, because I was trying to find a way to summarize this kind of succinctly, and I found a 2009 New Yorker article called Show or Tell Should Creative Writing Be Taught, just as it sounds, a very critical yeah. piece. Um But the, the description I liked is, uh, the workshop is a process, an unscripted performance space, a regime for forcing people to do two things that are fundamentally contrary to human nature – Actually write stuff, as opposed to planning to write stuff very, very soon, and then sit there while strangers tear it apart. There is one person in the room, the instructor, who has usually published a poem. <laughs> A workshop (laughs) protocol requires the instructor to shepherd the discussion, not to lead it. And in any case, the instructor is either a product of the same process, a person with an academic degree in creative writing, or a successful writer who has had no training as a teacher of anything, and who is probably grimly or jovially skeptical of the premise on which the whole enterprise is based, that creative writing is something that can be taught.
0: That's mean a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely harsh. Uh, but I feel like it really kind of gets at the process. So th- the big thing that people in like the creative writing community talk about is the Iowa Writers Workshop, which was founded in 1936 and has since become like the gold standard for creative writing workshops. It's I haven't like, even heard of this. Yeah. So the Iowa Writers Workshop is kind of the most competitive MFA program in the country. And because of that, uh, they've had seventeen winners of the Pulitzer Prize, six recent U.S. poet laureates, and numerous winners of the National Book Award, MacArthur Foundation fellowships, and Jesus. other major honors. And now they claim, and it's true, like we we pick the cream of the crop,
0: so it's not a huge surprise. It's not to like us. we turn them. We into don't necessarily, champions. yeah, we yeah. don't
1: necessarily take credit for that. A
0: lot of, that's a surprising amount of humility for somebody who's cranked out a dozen Pulitzer's <laughs> and MacArthur uh, grant winners.
1: Uh, so we gotta these, get in this fucking club, babe. I know. Well, so this is the thing. I mean, you you do...
0: A you, podcast, and then you send it to them, and they let you in.
1: <laughs> you do have to live in Iowa, which is not something I've ever particularly wanted to do. And I'm not... I think it's
0: beautiful, I'm but like we're, pr- Iowa. we're pretty tied down here. I mean, I bashed Fredericksburg earlier, so let's go ham. <laughs> what do you really think?
1: Um, the thing about an MFA is it is a terminal. It's considered a terminal degree. So if you want to go teach at a university creative writing... You can do that with an MFA. You don't have to have a PhD. Although there are PhDs in creative writing now.
0: Terminal degree means it, there's nothing after it?
1: Yeah, it means that that you can teach a college-level course with that okay. degree. So a, a lot of people that continue to kind of do the workshop process have MFAs themselves, which okay. is what that quote was referencing. Uh, so the... The ideal result of the workshop is that authors come away with insights into the strengths and weaknesses of their own work, and then the class as a whole derives some insight, whether general or specific, about the process of writing. Um, and so here's, here's what I like about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is a painful process. Like, you sure. really, you have to go in kind of with some armor on because what happens, at least in my previous, Workshops is that everybody would read your stuff, like usually the night before or sometimes the hour before. And then they would come and discuss it and you would sit in the room and the instructor would kind of facilitate the conversation and and everybody would kind of start with like, Oh, I liked this and this was really good. And I thought this was strong. And then maybe the next 25 minutes was (laughs) like, (laughs) I didn't get that. This didn't make sense to me. I had somebody in a workshop once and I will never forget this man. He like, tore apart something i was writing and when pressed as to why he didn't like it he was like you know i just don't think i can really relate to anything that's written in a
0: female voice and i was like cool dude great
1: all right so i lost you from minute one didn't i yeah
0: well he (laughs) lost at everything it sounds like yeah the world lost him at some point
1: um but i've also had it go really well Uh, I had a a short story that I wrote in one of my workshops, and and the instructor really loved it. And about half the class kind of missed what I was doing, but the instructor and the other half of the class really got it.
0: Yeah, the smart one.
1: (laughs) It was really rewarding to kind of have that experience and get to kind of witness other people kind of discover, oh, that's what you're doing. That's really cool.
0: Well, Um, and the best part is then you have a product that, not product, but a work that is ostensibly better than you could have made it on your own.
1: Yeah, Which is
0: very satisfying. We kind of, I guess, kind of have done this with the graphic novel, which has gone through, like, so many rounds of editing of this thing that now we have done, that we recorded three and a half, four years ago. And so, like, having people criticize it is, like whoa not criticize it, but like try to find the best yeah. way for it to be
1: well and you've you've found out, I know we've had conversations where there are things about the story that you have kind of discovered through having yeah. these conversations yeah uh, which I think is tremendously valuable so sure. I feel like now when I'm talking with people about writing or really anything creative that they do I've kind of learned how to have productive conversations yeah you which know? is
0: very a valuable skill that serves you well in all kinds of parts yeah. of life
1: yeah, like, like if, if you have an artistic friend of any kind to be able to kind of think critically about what they did and what you think they were trying to do in ways that they might more effectively communicate with you, uh, is huge sure. and, and super valuable. So I, I am a big fan of the process and it's something I actually miss participating in, but I will say it's difficult if you are Sensitive about your work, and also feel very strongly about the choices you made because a lot of times people will misinterpret them, and you will just dig your heels in like they just didn't get it.
0: Or, yeah. or the other scenario is they're right and you're wrong. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that's maybe even worse.
1: Well, I mean, right and wrong are such
0: you know, no. There's good books and bad books.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I,
0: honest to God, I did think of one creative writing workshop I was in. Okay, I was ten.
1: Oh, all right.
0: I was in tag class, talented and gifted. Thank you, both things. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Good grades, yeah, thanks. Um, And I was there, it was me and my friend Rachel Bailey, mm-hmm. Um, and she was taking a look at a little thing I had whipped up, called Grant Andrews Kid Cop. Oh my gosh, you
1: shared that.
0: Yeah, oh, we had to. I thought
1: that was just a treat for your family.
0: No, no, no. We had to share it with the class so that she everybody you could- some notes? It. Yes, there was one part where Grant <laughs> Andrews' adult cop partner- <laughs> Grant Andrews adult cop partner, Eddie, uh, falls off a roof and he yells, no, which I stylized by making no, all caps. Rachel looked at that. She said, this shouldn't be all caps. And I, said, <laughs> and I said, I am never doing another creative writing workshop for as long as I live.
1: So just the capitalization suggestion devastated you.
0: Really tore me up. Really tore me up. Now as an adult, I see. But no, I don't see. Sorry, Rachel Bailey, because if you're reading a book and it says, no, my adult cop partner fell off the roof.
1: Did she make an argument as to why she thought it should not be It just looked
0: weird on the page, which could have been an issue with the word (laughs) processor, the kerning, I don't know. But it wasn't my fault. My creative choice was very good. (laughs) As were all my creative choices in that book. Like the fact that Eddie was then saved while he was falling by a hovering motorbike called Jet Moto, which was also the name of a PlayStation this game I was really very good. much into. Hey, can
1: I tell you about something I wrote when I was ten years old? Fuck yeah! I started writing a novel. Yes. This was not for school. This was just my fun time. Even better. Uh, it was going to be called. Um, oh gosh, what was the first word? It was something.
0: It was about an ice cream cone.
1: It was called Tess Colon. A floodwater fiasco.
0: Whoa. I think you've told me about this before.
1: Yeah. So there were big floods of the Mississippi that summer. And I became really interested in the idea of like, what would it be like to be displaced by
0: a flood? So I started wow, cool. trying to
1: write a story.
0: Cool and privileged <laughs> yeah, so, and neat. Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun to be displaced by a horrible <laughs> what flood? What would that
1: be like? Yeah, no, so I, I tried to write a story from the perspective of a girl approximately my age experiencing this. Uh, I think I got a few pages in and then abandoned the, the, uh, Cause the short Because you said word. this
0: is hugely problematic. I know. You said this is deeply, deeply problematic. I know. Not like Grand Andrews Kid Cop. That's a crowd pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> I referenced the ice cream cone thing, and I thought you would take the bait, and you didn't, and I'm heartbroken. It's difficult to describe. It's okay if you don't want to talk about it.
1: I, I will Cause say. Cause I'll
0: talk about it and put you right on I, the
1: blast. I'll, let's briefly talk about it in second did grade. Did you get,
0: did you get any creative writing workshop help are you on this poem?
1: Going to let me talk about Please it. Please
0: talk about it.
1: In second grade, we were participating in a discussion of ice cream. And so we all ate ice cream and then we as a group, kind of had a conversation about what adjectives would be appropriate for ice cream. And then we were all tasked with writing our own ice cream poem. Uh, and so I wrote an ice cream poem that my teacher thought was exceptional, and she wanted me to read it for this promotional video they were doing uh, for the
0: the style of instruction. Can I pause the story here to add a sort of like a Uh, a framing device is me and our group of friends here in Austin learned about this because we had a claim to fame party, which by the way, do one of these. It's the most fucking fun party ever. You just have somebody bring their claim to fame of like a thing that they did when they were younger, maybe that they are most famous for. It is an illuminating way to get to know your friends. Rachel gets up there to the VCR, plugs this bad boy (laughs) in and says, here's a poem I wrote when I was in second grade. Well, so
1: here's the thing. So the video was supposed to be used across the school district for instructional purposes for teachers that were interested in engaging their kids more in like English language, you know, classes. A,
0: a very good idea for and, and a good poem and you were cute as the dickens get out of here.
1: So the poem begins uh, with, I am starting at the tempting top of my ice cream. I poem. think it was
0: tip. I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback here, but. And
1: then I say, and I am working my way down. Hmm. And then I say things like, oh, it's so creamy.
0: It's dribbling down my knuckles. <laughs> like, and literally, y'all. And Rachel didn't know. That's the best part of the story. Back to the framing device. Everybody at this party is watching this video and looking at each other like, <laughs> and Rachel's like, yeah, it's a good poem. And we're like, oh,
1: Rachel. No, I heard it when we were, yes. I didn't remember it being quite so evocative. <laughs> uh, when we watched it as a group, I became aware, um,
0: <laughs> baby, it was like, it was like a hundred years of solitude, like <laughs> full blown, nonstop evocative imagery. Anyway. Um. Was yeah. it a hundred years or 1, years? Yeah, a thousand years? A hundred. Yeah. That's my favorite books. Right. I know. It's a good one.
1: Uh, yeah, so so this, this only exists in VHS form, so don't go looking for it on the internet.
0: Yeah, no, we would not. Put it was this up. like,
1: the year was 1990, the internet didn't exist.
0: It, I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't like so over the top that it was like unbelievable, but your reaction to finding out in that moment, like, hey, this poem was a little bit dirty, uh, was one of the funniest things I've ever experienced with a, a big group of friends like that. I think I brought peace on the playground too, so nobody got out of that one uns, un, unscathed. <laughs> Uh, hey, do you want to hear some submissions from our friends at home? Yes. uh, Playing the home game of Wonderful? Crystal says, my wonderful thing is a Japanese show called My First Errand. It's a hidden camera show where the parents have their preschoolers run an errand, usually to the corner store to get some food item, completely by themselves for the first time. I watched a little bit. There's, like, a camera person there, so they don't, yeah, they don't, like... Send a, you Is know, a toddler too? out. Um, I don't know. Uh, they sent a link that was like Daily Motion or something like that. Uh, episodes are usually about 10 minutes long. And watching the parents celebrate what their kids can do, the little kids figuring out how to navigate their world, and the encouragement of folks along their journey is delightful. I did watch a little bit of this. and Justin and Sydney would love this show. I think anybody would enjoy this show. It is a very good <laughs> idea for a show. Uh, Justine says, something I think is wonderful is a squeeze top on a salad dressing bottle. I like the security of reaching for a particularly liquidy or oily dressing and knowing that it has its own built-in flow control so I won't waste lots of product. And you won't waste lots of salad getting it all wet
1: that is the perfect kind of submission
0: right? yeah gets in there lets you know about a trivial thing that when you really think about it is, is it? incredibly yeah. important yes and gets right out thank you justine clementine says hi i'm studying abroad in southern spain right now where tapas small appetizers like cured ham or fried potatoes are served with drinks at night they're delicious even more so because they're free the last thing they kind of surprised me <laughs> I've had many a tapas here in the States, and none of them have ever been free. No,
1: it's like a whole restaurant.
0: In fact, most of the time, these bad boys are pretty expensive. Yeah. When you compare the food-to-dollar ratio, the mass-to-dollar ratio, I should say.
1: You know, if somebody owes them in a restaurant and just called it, like, just apps, it probably yeah. be a little cheaper. Yeah. yeah. But, like, here, tapas is, like, exotic, and so people pay more that for it. That is
0: true. um, Man, but I want to eat... Some fried potatoes and small appetizers right now. Anyway, uh, this has been the episode. You know what else I want to eat? An Oreo cookie from Nabisco. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much to Nabisco. Thank you so much. Spotify, um, Spotify, (laughs) our sponsor for the billion dollars. Going by a big yacht with two pools on it. And thank you so much at home for listening to Wonderful. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description um
1: thanks to maximum fun.org shit. for hosting wonderful yeah
0: dude yeah they hosted us and um and
1: they continue to host they us. do
0: continue and they got lots of great great shows on there like lady to lady and switchblade sisters and beef and dairy network
1: minority corner
0: minority corner flop house floor house. And uh, if you want to hear more stuff that we do, you can go to com and see all our uh, audio and video. Less of that second thing these days because of I'd changed my job. So I guess that's going to do it. This is nice.
1: <laughs> Isn't it nice when you can just sit together without saying anything? Yeah.
0: And because you're trying to think of a funny thing to say and you can't, but you know it's okay because they're still going to love you in the morning.
1: Uh, you want to talk more about that bunk bed toilet?
0: Yeah. I know you're wondering one flusher or two flushers on it. If you're really in love and you're really compatible, you only need one flusher to flush both toilets at the same time. Think about it. Think about whether or not that would factor into your love life or not. And if it's not, get the hell out of there, folks. This has been our romance show. Bye.
1: Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we're the hosts of... Everything's, Everything's Coming, Coming Up, up Simpsons. Simpsons. Every episode, we cover a different episode of The Simpsons um, that is a favorite of our special guests. We've had guests that are showrunners and writers and voice actors like Nancy Cartwright. I got a D minus I passed! And we've also had people that are on the MaxFun Network already.
0: Homer wearing that golf outfit is I so funny. It. And there's... <laughs> When he gets super into golf, <laughs> he's wearing the golf hat in, in bed. bed.
1: We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show.
0: I was just uh, struck by how sharp the writing is. I mean, yeah. that's no surprise because it's The Simpsons, but I mean, like, y- you can't say that about a lot of a lot of TV shows, particularly ones that at that point had been on the air for 14 years.
1: Find us on maximumfun.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, smell you later.